Hello, and welcome to EPR with your favorite environmental nerds, Nick and Laura. On today's episode, we give our shout-outs. Laura and I discuss the joy of watching sports. We interview Sun Temple Helgren, a senior manager at AECOM, about working on challenging NEPA projects, travel, and his illustrious quote-unquote soccer career. And finally, on this day in science in 1994, the first of 21 asteroids, major fragments from the comet Shoemaker-Levy 9, which broke up two years earlier, hit Jupiter and created a 1,200-mile-wide fireball that was 600 miles high, much to the delight of astronomers awaiting the celestial fireworks. Super crazy. Can't believe it. I remember being like a kid watching this thing on the news. Super fun. Credit, as always, to today in SCI.com. You look stunned, Laura. I don't remember that. You don't remember the Shoemaker Levy? Yeah, it was super cool. Awesome. You should look at the photos of it. It's pretty, it's, it's <laughs> Hubble, I think, is the one that took it. Uh, the photos as they landed. I want no part of a 1,200-mile-wide, 600-mile-tall fireball, by the way. I don't want to be anywhere near that. Um, <laughs> that doesn't even make sense, like, from a like, like just a practical perspective. That's so huge (laughs) 600 miles tall what (laughs) um (laughs) 600 feet doesn't even sound right absorb this information yeah because basically i think jupiter is why it broke up in the first place and it just sucked it all in and then ripped it to pieces (laughs) amazing (laughs) yeah pretty cool stuff so please be sure to subscribe rate and review hit that music Our shout out for today is for NAP's Public Involvement and Education Award, which goes to the Arizona Department for Environmental Quality, Arizona Water Watch Citizen Science Program for their program between scientists, agencies, and the public gathering information helping to address Arizona water quality and pollution issues. Pretty cool. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Be sure to share your promotions, new jobs, professional, and project awards with us on the EPR website. Don't forget to register for NAEP's upcoming webinar, the NEPA case law update on July 27th. Head over to naep.org slash webinars dash new for more info. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode, head on over to environmentalprofessionalsradio.com and check out the sponsor form for more details. Now let's get to our segment. Super cool. And talk basketball. Um, well, I'm sure. just like sports in general is like a sports person, but I do like to watch the World Cup. I did do, I used to go to the TVA, no, it wasn't TVAP, Swift Mud in Florida used to have a golf tournament that I tried a couple of times. Yeah? Uh, how'd you do? Because <laughs> golf <laughs> is the meanest. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> That's too funny. Um. <laughs> find, me, find me the cart with the, the loseriest losers, and yeah. um, we'll be the ones who are holding everyone else back who actually wants to play. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then going, yeah. is it my turn already? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what is this thing in my hand? Is this, yeah, yeah. Well, this golf is, is a charity, top sport. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you basically have to say that. Yeah. It's, uh, oh man, golf's impossible. It's a really tough, tough, tough sport to play. There's so many rules. The thing I can't handle with sports is it doesn't matter if it's golf right, or right. badminton or whatever. People get yeah. so serious and I just can't get into that. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And I get it. Like, no matter what, right? You have to have the right people, right? So like I say, I've, I've been playing 
pick up basketball with some of my comic friends, which is the safest, best way for me to play basketball because I'm not good at it, but neither are they, right? So we have, but even so, like you, you always have one person who's just a little more into it than everyone else. So as long as he's winning the games, everyone else is fine, right? But if he's not, then, you know, then it's miserable for everybody. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's hard. It's because, you know, people get really competitive. And they, you know, and and com- competition is really good. And it can really drive a lot of things, and you have to be able to calm down sometimes too, because it can also bring out really difficult problems and issues and make them worse in some ways. So yeah, I've I've seen that a lot. We did a uh, a Sandlot baseball when I was in grad school. My roommates and I love to play sports, and so we we just like to have fun. Yeah, and uh, something new about you all the time, right? <laughs> no, I don't know why I don't picture you as a sports person, but. Well, I mean, no, no, I know it's, which is totally fine. I, I didn't say I was good at it. You know, I just like to do it, <laughs> but yeah, it's just, I like the physical activity. It's really important. I like, I like doing it, you know, and the more, the older you get, the less it comes with the job and the more you have to do that's in, that's not out outdoors. So I've got to find a different way to get engaged and interested. Right. But we actually literally, we had to stop one of our Sandlot baseball games because the guy on third base thought he tagged someone out and literally everyone else, including the people on his team were like, no, nah, man, you didn't. I'm sorry. It's he's safe. And he would not like, he, he refused to like even let that down. So he's literally yelling and screaming at everyone <laughs> and no one else is yelling back at him. We're all like, God, dude, just calm down. And then we're like, wait, who is he with? Who brought this guy? Where is he coming from? Like, I've never seen him before. He has no friends. Right. Yeah. And he's just like, you know, it's like ghost, you know, (laughs) but uh, yeah, it's just, it's funny to see, but uh, I don't know. I really enjoy that kind of physical activity because it's not just running, which I, which I like to do too, uh, you know, but yeah, it's basketball is probably the most fun for me because it's just uh, the most athletic and I can, I can at least dribble a ball pretty well. (laughs) I mean, I can't shoot for anything, but. You know, that doesn't matter a whole lot, especially when you're playing with people who aren't great. (laughs) Well, that sounds like a we're all having fun scenario. Yeah, that's what it should be, right? You know, should be having fun. It's good to have the opposite. People think I I look athletic or something. So, oh, you must like sports. I'm like, no. (laughs) No. Not only do I not like sports, I'm not good at it. Yeah. Um, My mom is clumsy. I'm clumsy. (laughs) But see, you know that about yourself. That's okay. It's And yeah. They say, yeah, Toby's an athletic uh, cat or no? Okay, he's also <laughs> uncoordinated. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, like I say, I don't know. Do you see competition in other areas, though? Is there other things that you like to do? Or you like to, are you a competitive person? Maybe that's a different question to ask you. Uh, you know, I think I'm not. But at the same time, I certainly am uh, driven to, to do stuff, right? So I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I, I probably would come across as a hypocrite if I said like, I'm not competitive at all. <laughs> but right. It's not the kind of, you know, I, I, I guess it depends on how you're motivated or yeah. how much ego you let take over. Right. Yeah. And I have, and I also I have, have this thing yeah. where like any sports I'm watching, if I'm rooting for a team, that team loses. I've long <laughs> since ever gave up like trying to support oh, yeah. a team doing anything. <laughs> yeah, I know it. Right. I, well, gosh. So there's like, uh, I have a bunch of friends who are like Cleveland Browns fans and they have had this, you know, you know, decades of abuse at their team's hands, but they won one playoff game last year and they act like they're the greatest thing that's ever happened. So yeah, I, I hear you Browns fans. I hear you. We'll see what happens this year. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, 
like I say, like I say, competition and competitiveness is good in a lot of ways, but yeah, you got to be careful. You got to like, cause it's an emotional thing a lot of times, right? Like there was a, what is it? The world cup, uh, not world cup, the Euro cup is going on right now. Soccer. You know, it's funny because uh, the French just lost. They had no business losing a game. They were up like three, one with 10 minutes to go. And uh, just crazy how they basically gave the game away, you know, and it's just, it's just one of those things that sports can be so cruel that way. It can be so, so cruel. But yeah, I mean, you know, you've got to keep your emotions in check. It's so hard to do when you're like in it, you know, so. Yeah. And that's just, I don't, I can't relate to that too much. The most I ever really enjoyed watching sports like that. Um, mm-hmm. I lived, when I lived in Ireland and we would watch soccer matches like in a pub where the entire pub is watching one, oh, yeah. one screen. Oh yeah. Screen, yeah. You know, like that's, that was pretty intense. And oh cool yeah. To witness. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Sort of watching world cup. Then, and I was in, I was in Spain when they won the playoffs, two thousand eight, mm-hmm. in Madrid, and that was. Oh yeah, I can imagine that must have been crazy. Spectacular! That was yeah, so yeah, amazing. And then, so I, I like to be like part of that, but sitting and like watching the game, unless there's food and beverage around, I'm, I'm going to get very bored pretty quickly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and you won't find me screaming and yelling at the screen or anything like that. Right not happening i have some friends who like they're most of the time you would not ever think that they cared about sports but then Mm -hmm. get them like in a red sox game or something right right yeah who are you who are you yeah (laughs) alter ego comes out i know right yeah my dad is one of those people he just has to like he yells at the tv regardless you know tackle him you know just as loud as he possibly can he's a big dude he's super really deep voice just really really loud and so like it's like, uh, yeah, well, if he's going to watch the game by himself, I think, because I can't, my ears are bleeding. I can't hear anything anymore. So, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's too intense, you know? Um, well, our guest yeah. is a uh, sports figure. I think he, he might <laughs> at one point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's build him up until he hears he hear the story. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's get to it. Welcome back to EPR. Today we are joined by the infamous Sun Temple Helgren, a senior manager at AECOM and newly elected board member of NAEP. Sun Temple, thank you for being here. Thanks Um, for having me. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start off with just letting people know who you are and what you do. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do? Yeah, sure. Well, first off, just for those that are wondering, my first name is Sun Temple. I didn't get to pick it. (laughs) <laughs> um, my parents were hippies. They thought that was a good idea back in yeah. 1972. That seemed like it made sense to them. Right. So they named me Sun Temple and I've been stuck with it ever since. So let's just get that out of the way. Um, right. I am, I've been a NEPA practitioner pretty much for 25 years. I, you know, I started out as a draftsman, a CAD draftsman right out of college for a small environmental firm. And I oh. stayed working for environmental consultants, you know, kind of progressively, you know, taking the next step up the ladder, always kind of under under the umbrella of NEPA. In the past 10 years, I've really just focused on the DOD and the, the Navy primarily and uh, managing NEPA projects and uh, large programs for them. Awesome. That's a lot of years of experience. You know, when I first met you, I thought you were much younger. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you. I, I feel old because I remember when you know, you look for a job and they go, oh, they want you to have 20 years experience. I'm like, oh my God, I'll never have 20 years experience. <laughs> and now I'm like, oh my God, I'm that, I'm that old guy with over 20 years experience. Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> right. And I'm also glad you mentioned your name. Nick and I were going to ask you and we actually scrubbed it from our questions because we're right. like, everyone must ask him that. Let's not ask him and, that. <laughs> no, you're right. Everybody does ask me that. And I learned after a while that people were almost embarrassed to, but they really, really wanted to. Because yeah. you'd, be, you'd be in a meeting or at a conference and you know, you do the whole, every, let's go around and introduce yourselves. And you know, I'd say my name. And then usually later on at a break or maybe that evening when people are out socializing, someone or multiple people would come up to me and go, hey, you know, I just want to ask you about your name. <laughs> so I started just, you know, to get that out of the way, just, yeah, yeah. Front, hey, look, let's just, you know, let's get that out of the way. And, and <laughs> yeah, Stone Temple practice. and that's, it's, it's a capital T and that they, yeah. I, that's just, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. You admittedly, and I say admittedly on your LinkedIn, have a reputation for having a willingness to take projects that are considered challenging or unusually controversial. Yes. Um, How does that kind of come about? Well, so there's, it started with a project called Corridor H. So people in the transportation world may have heard of the Appalachian Redevelopment Act. Mm -hmm. You know, something that uh, Kennedy when he was actually campaigning for president and we went through Appalachia, he saw how dep- socioeconomically depressed it was. And one of the reasons he felt was there really wasn't good interstate road system. And it all started with that. So there's a lot mm. of highway corridors that are on the map. Some of them have been developed. Some of them haven't. They all have lettered names. And one of them was Appalachian Corridor H. Um, yeah. And that was in West Virginia. It went through three different federal lawsuits it was the first project I was involved with that actually had protesters where you'd go to a public meeting and it had like an organized, you know, protest movement for lack of a yeah. better term. And so the project went on for years and years and years. Um, it ended up getting segmented into individual NEPO actions instead of one big one because the, they determined that each segment had logical termini. So in and of themselves, each roadway segment could operate as, as its own project. So it got broken up into multiple EISs, had all you know, endangered species issues. We did endangered species section seven consultations, actual formal consultation, which you know it is not something you normally get into. And it's a lot of hoops with that with the initiation yeah. package and things with fish and wildlife, several species, one of which was flying squirrel, which at the time oh. we spent a lot of time <laughs> and money studying and trying to avoid and a couple of years later they determined that it was not its own species and therefore <laughs> wasn't endangered no. um, so at one point there was a west virginia northern flying squirrel that was endangered and then at one point it was determined that it wasn't anymore um so anyway so that project went on for a long time i was early in my career um i got to cut my teeth on a lot of different services that you sort of provide you know field work wetland delineations gps cultural resource surveys. I did bat mist netting for Indiana bat. A lot of just really cool stuff that, you know, when you're kind of starting off in your career, you kind of love and, and you're not really sure what you want to do when you grow up and yeah, you're like, right. I'll do anything. And yeah, so yeah, this yeah, project yeah. afforded, you know, me and a, and a lot of other people. And I worked for a company, Michael Baker, which is, is still around. And a lot of, there's a kind of a group of us, if you will, that worked on this project for a number of years. And it was a lot of fun too, be just because you, you were doing the things you envisioned when you picked your major, like, I'm going to be out in the middle of nowhere, and <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do yeah, field yeah. work, you know, and we're driving down these, you know, forest service roads and on these hunt, giant hunt club property lands with all these ATVs and, you know, 
sometimes the competition we could get the company truck, you know, more covered in mud. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, you know, so it started with that. And, and, and that project gave me a lot of confidence, especially dealing with public and, and the controversial side and kind of seeing both sides, you know, of yeah. the coin, you know, um, there's give and take in all projects, especially public projects and all transportation projects are public use projects. Yeah. So, you know, you got a lot of people who want it and then you got a lot of people who don't and they both have very valid reasons. So me and, and others that worked on that project, we learned a lot. And I just kind of took that later in my career, took more challenging, you know, positions with the Navy, you know, that they have a project called uh, the Atlantic Fleet Testing and Training or Training and Testing EIS. And that covers all of their training and testing they do in the Atlantic Ocean from the Gulf of Mexico up to Maine. Yeah. And a lot of times that garners a lot of public interest in certain areas. So that gets pretty controversial and you get a lot, thousands of public comments. A lot of them are very angry. Um, yeah. So I just kind of, you know, once you do a couple projects that are controversial and you understand, you know, the different pitfalls and, you know, how public opinion can sway or derail a project, you know, you, you just kind of, that's sort of what you end up doing more of. And you don't shy away from them, which, you know, I, I didn't. And so yeah. the next thing you know, I, I just felt like uh, from one thing to another, it's like, oh, God, another one. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then it's what's one more, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, and then 25 years goes by. And right. Like, exactly. Oh my, oh, my God, I have like, really? Now counting back, I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess it has been 25 years since I, yep, That's, I guess yeah. I have 25 years. Right. Well, I mean, so, you know, like you say, you started out in CAD and uh, and you're doing field work and then, and now you're into NEPA. So like, what has that transition been like? And, and well, you know. so I was a geography major and, and where I went to school, you know, back in the early nineties, environmental studies movement, for lack of a better term, was really catching on in different schools, had that under different majors. Some had it under biology, some under forestry, where I went to school and had it under geography, you know, and cartography is also part of geography and yeah. in the head of our department, Baron Kuniki. He was an old school German cartographer, and he really instilled in you, you need to understand the principles of cartography. If you want to be a geographer, you need to understand how to make maps. So I took analog cartography, which was mylar and ink pens. And then I took CAD. It was like version 10 or 11. Um, <laughs> and his way of teaching you basically was, here's the keys to the computer lab. You have access to it whenever you want. There's the computer. There's the manual. Learn it. and you just would get in there with like four or five kids, stay up till three in the morning, just kicking the tires. Like one kid would have the book flipping, like how do you change the color on something? <laughs> right. color, change color. And it's all typing commands. And that's, that's yeah. really how, how we learned it. So when I graduated awesome. and um, yeah, I moved to Colorado looking for a job, there's a small environmental consulting firm. And to be honest with you, they called me, <laughs> this is what they told me. They're like, you know, we just really wanted to see what a sun temple was. <laughs> I'm not making this <laughs> oh, up. Oh I'm not gosh. making this up. And, you know, I went in there with, you know, I had my, my suit and my tie and, and I had my little portfolio of maps I'd made in college yeah. and I'm trying to wow yeah. them. And they're just looking at me and, and they brought me back in this little, you know, area that they sat, these two other guys that did all the mapping and, and kind of rudimentary GIS at the time for this, like a 12, 13 person outfit. And there was a, a workstation there and a digitizing tablet. And they sat me down and there was a quad sheet on the digitizing tablet. And they said, digitize three features from that sheet on three different layers. And I was like, okay. And they walked away. And so I knew what, I knew how to do it. So I did yeah, it. You know, yeah. I registered my quad sheet. I digitized it, put the lines on one layer, the water features on one layer, the township and range on another. 
you know, they came back and I showed them my map and they're like, it's really good. And, and they handed me a floppy disk. I'll remember wow. that. And they handed wow. me a floppy uh, disk and they said, what is that? Save, <laughs> they said, save what you just, the file you just did, save it onto this disk. And I was like, okay. And it was, it was DOS, you know, yep. change yeah. oh, to yeah. save oh, copy. Yeah, yeah. And so I did that and I gave it to him and he grabbed it and he opened it on his computer and he goes, you're the first person who could do that. You're hired. And I was like, are you kidding me? And he goes, you know how many people can't even save a file? And and this was back before you could just go file save. You actually had to understand data, which was what my anal German cartography professor made sure I understood. And he would laugh at me. Oh, some temple, you're going to go hug trees. Nobody's going to pay you to hug trees. You need to know something. You need a skill. And he right. was right. That skill got me that job. You know, that job got me another job there. I'd started volunteering for whatever and anything explained to them that actually my background wasn't GIS and cartography and computers. It was actually more environmental science field work. Um, yeah. And so it's, you know, like this sort of, I never said no to anything. And, you know, <laughs> when you're young and cheap, you can get yourself on a lot of projects. And I was lucky and fortunate enough to work for a company that had a lot of large projects that needed, you know, people in the field, people doing GPS, people doing GIS, and I was young and cheap. So I got to do a lot and, you know, just kind of parlayed that experience into, you know, another job into another job and, you know, just sort of let life sort of lead me to where I am today. Yeah. Old. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, we can't fight that one. Um, That's awesome, though. I love how that story just kind of brings together all of the different uncertainties and things you can't control and it just still turned out the way it was supposed to turn out right so yeah yeah you know like you know sometimes you you know i took jobs because of you know life you know i I moved back to virginia from north carolina not because i found a better job it was because we we had moved to north carolina for quote unquote you know the great your dream job and it was a job i couldn't refuse but after three years we realized you know we were kind of miserable work isn't yeah. everything and you know we right. had my daughter was four or five we just had my son and we wanted to move back to home basically so i just took whatever job i could get which was kind of a step backwards i didn't care i was happier you know and so yeah. you know sometimes you, you take jobs for for yourself sometimes you take jobs for your family yeah but you know in the end you, you just see where you wind up and it's all meant to be so I've, i had the pleasure of getting to meet you in person back when we could do that and um hmm hanging out at the Baltimore conference, I believe. Yeah. The Haunted Hotel. um, (laughs) Yeah. And uh, that was a lot of fun, but I got to also hear some of your stories. So we'd like to hear some of your stories here today. And Nick wants me to ask you if it is true (laughs) you had a gun pulled on you once. Yeah. yeah, Yes, I did. Yes. At work. Um, In Chesapeake. At work. Or no, in in, in Suffolk. Virginia. I was working for a company, Kinley Horn and Associates, uh, a wetland delineation. And mm, it was back yeah. on a big farm property. And this guy, I don't know if he was a tenant. I think he was a tenant on the property. Like he had a trailer on and he was just living there. Yeah. And so he wasn't around when I showed up and I kind of parked my car off, you know, inside and, and just walked off. You know, it was a big, it was hundreds of acres. So there's open fields and there's woods and there's ditches. And I'm just sort of doing a preliminary how big of a delineation is this going to be? Like, well, how much, you know, like, do I need to come out here with more people? It's just sort of an in- investigation. How many wetlands do I think are on this parcel? In the yeah. meantime, apparently, a gas station down the road had been robbed. And <laughs> oh, this guy heard oh, it on no. the radio. 
and he oh, saw no. my car parked off in the, the, the <laughs> right, right. bushes. And so he was like, Oh, this might be the guy. So I'm walking out of the, you know, out of the fields and out of the woods and I have my, my orange vest on and I have a soil auger and my clipboard. And, and right, I right. see this guy standing by my car and, and I couldn't, he had something in his hand. I couldn't tell what it was. And I got closer. It was a rifle. <laughs> and, and I'm like, and then so I just kind of put my hands up and I'm walking with my hands up in the air. And right. then I see he's got a gun in his, not in a holster, just tucked in his belt. Well, on why, did, why would anyone ever do that? Oh, yeah. and, and I just said, I'm unarmed. I'm unarmed. And I just, you know, walked up on him, said, I, I have permission to be here. And then he, he saw who I was. And obviously I wasn't the guy who just robbed the, the gas <laughs> yeah, right. station. And he was bummed out. He was like, oh, oh he yeah, dropped yeah. his gun. He's like, <laughs> right. oh, man, I'm sorry. He goes, I heard, you know, and he told me the story that the gas station had been robbed. And he thought maybe I was the guy. And, and he, had, <laughs> was you know, he was going to be a hero. And I was like, sorry, <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not. Thanks for not shooting me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that yeah. story could have ended badly. Oh, no, gosh. yeah, it, it, it could have. It was really yeah. kind of, I got back to the office. I was like, can I get hazard pay? <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, you talk about like controversial projects, you know, that's kind of like uh, when people are opposed to something like that and they, you know, there's a concern going out in the field, you know, I, for that kind well, of thing. I did. a. Unfortunately, I and I don't mean anything against Walmart. Um, you know, every, people need to shop. But so I permitted the last job I did at Kimley Horn was I delineated and, and permitted a property for that a Walmart and, the, you know, the Walmart was going in. While I was there hanging my flags, there was protesters, you know, there's about six of them on the corner with, you know, signs and, and they were pretty adamant and they were local businesses that felt like that Walmart was going to put them out of business and they mm-hmm. had a point. And it was really kind of demoralizing, to be honest with you, because it kind mm-hmm. of went against a lot of why I got into the environmental industry. Um, yeah. And I just remember not feeling good understanding what I was doing. And what I was doing was making sure that they had enough developable, you know, square footage on that parcel. So, you know, they could fit what they needed to fit. Yeah. Um, so that was, and now when I drive by that, which I do often because I have my wife's family's in New Jersey and we'll drive right up the Eastern shore and I'll drive right by the Walmart. I look yeah. at my kids and go, you know, I permitted that Walmart. And what do your kids say back to you? What do they they're usually have headbutt, head, their earbuds <laughs> in and they're on their phones and they don't even hear me. And then my right. wife will say, we know you tell us that every time. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they're like, we've forgiven you. Move on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so we like to talk about what we call field notes, but we've already been talking to you about a bunch of field stuff. But I think you mentioned working with bats. I'd love to hear more about your mist netting bat experiences and yeah, yeah. So, that. so corridor H, you know, there was habitat for Indiana bat. I mean, there's other, there's a lot of bats up there, but Indiana bat was the endangered species. So that's what we were monitoring for. And what you do to mitigate for bat impacts is you monitor within the, um, within the proposed corridor to determine, you know, the likelihood that they're there. And if they are, what you do is when they're not in their, so certain bats like to live in, in cavities of trees, you know, like hickory, um, certain tree, old crags, and they'll get up under the bark and in the cavities. So when they're in their hibernacula in the winter and they're in their, their caves and you know they're not out foraging, so you know they're not in the trees, you go through that corridor and you cut down all the trees that they call them PRTs, potential roost trees. So you cut down all the PRTs. So that way, you know, when you go to construct the highway, you're not going to have any bad impacts. Because you got rid of their nesting habitat while they were in their hibernacular, which was cool. 
Anyway, yeah, so yeah. while you're mist netting for them, you know, you have to do it during a certain season, you know, obviously while they're not in their hibernaculate and you have to do it at night, which is really cool. So you yeah. set up these mist nets in these kind of natural flight corridors. Usually you want to set them up over like streams because they'll, the one, they'll eat the bugs that, you know, are attracted. And then also they'll come down and take drinks of water or natural flight corridors in the forest, like in a path, you can kind of see like an open in the, an open area in the canopy and you'll set up your mist nets. And then you check them, you know, every 15 minutes and you'll catch, you know, various species of bats. It's, it, it's one of the neatest things I ever did. And, and I was just a helping hand. You know, we oh, hired yeah. a, a local PhD from a university that was doing research on Indiana bat. And he got to kind of do his research, but also help, you know, pro, you know provide the misnetting for us. But it was really neat. I mean, these That's things cool. are they're so fragile and yeah. some of them are so small and you can fit them in the, in the palm of your hand. Some of them like little pipistrils is, is a certain really small, fragile species. And they look, they look like these little wolf heads and, yeah. and, you get, and they'll crawl. It's, you can see why they sort of were inspirational for, you know, fear, Dracula and, and things like that. They're really, really wild. And so he would take samples from hair samples, saliva samples, um, different tissue samples. He would weigh them and, and, you know, measure their wingspans and then he'd let them go. Yeah. Um, and it was cool. I did that for three summers in a row. I'd spend two weeks on, two weeks off and, and up, up in the hollers of West Virginia. And you'd sit yeah. out there at night. And it was really, it was something that most people don't get to do. So you, we didn't have, this was back when most people didn't have cell phones. You know, back yeah. when I started, you didn't have cell phones. Right. And even if you did, where we were, you wouldn't have reception. Sometimes we, most of the times, couldn't even get anything on the radio. So you just sit there and tell stories. And that's when I learned you could see satellites. And you don't need yeah. count because up there, you know, you don't have the light pollution. And there's right. a lot of satellites that you can actually see. It's just, you know, it's just a dot that'll just slowly go by. And we'd sit there and, you know, count satellites and, and tell stories. And this guy was like 20 years older than me. So it was, you know, different generations. And, you know, every 10 or 15 minutes, you go check the, the nets. You'd have like three or four nets set up nearby. And if yeah. you had a bat, you really slowly, delicately try to untangle it, you know, because they're, they're fragile. You, you don't want to injure them. And we right. wear, you'd have to get rabies shots before you did it because they're, okay, they're yeah. suspected to carry rabies. And we wear actual batting gloves, like baseball batting gloves. Oh, okay. I was like, they'd, like, offer, yeah. they'd offer some protection <laughs> because they bite you. You know, and some right. of the bigger ones, like a hoary bat, they bite right through that. Oh, like, wow. you know, oh, they wow. draw blood sometimes. But yeah, it was, it was really neat. A lot of fun. And then people would always, because of where you were, kind of in the middle of nowhere, West Virginia, you would garner excitement in the local community. You know, of what course. are these guys doing out there catching bats? So, right. you know, the locals would come check you out. And that was always kind of neat and fun. And the kids, you know, they'd want to see what you're doing and they'd have questions. So it, it was a lot of fun. And it really gave me an affinity for West Virginia. It is oh, cool. the parts that haven't been coal mined are some of the most beautiful parts <laughs> of the United States. It really is. I agree. Yeah. But it's no secret that Laura and I love to travel and in our environmental careers have taken us to some really amazing places we've talked about on the show a bunch. You've also had, you've traveled all over the country. You've been to Guam and the Marianas. Do you have a favorite place to visit? Is that an unfair question to ask you? I, well, my, the favorite place I've ever been is Alaska. Yeah. I found Alaska Same. to be what everything it, it's advertised to be. All the yeah. shows you see, all that that's Alaska. Like you yeah. can literally drive five minutes outside of the city and there's moose, there's bear, yes. 
Yes. It is beautiful. I loved Alaska. I, I was fortunate enough to have a project in Alaska and we got to drop, spend a week basically driving around Alaska. Uh, yeah. uh, we flew into Anchorage. We drove to the northernmost land crossing with Canada. Um, it's actually with the Yukon Territory. And then we drove down from the Yukon Territory through Canada back into Alaska and, and did those border crossings that are down by like Haines, which is ironically enough, the show, the Gold Rush show, yeah. the first few years when those guys were out there floundering around, the airport they would fly into was Haines, Alaska. Um, so I was there and we actually hired a plane to fly us over the glaciers while we we're there, which is cool. Oh, so yeah. Alaska, Alaska was awesome. Tinian, which is this little island in the Commonwealth of Northern Marianas, and that's where the Enola Gay took off from to drop the yeah. nuclear bomb. Yeah. So that was really neat, really hard to get to. Right. Um, and it, do they still have the bays there? Yeah. Well, they still, the, you, the runways are still there. Wow. Um, they have the, the, they have it encased in like a, a, a hard plexiglass sort of historical shrine, but they have the pit oh, wow. that the bomb came up out of. So it's yeah. all still there. Yeah. It's amazing. And to get there, you have, you know, you, I flew to, to Japan and then to Saipan and then in Saipan, you get on a little puddle jumper and then you, it's a, like a three minute flight, literally three minute flight <laughs> over to Tinian, but that's the only way to get to Tinian unless you own a boat. Right. Um, but it was just a really neat little island, you know, population of, you know, I don't know, maybe 1,400. I'm just kind of throwing that number out there. Not, not a lot of people, <laughs> not a very big island. The whole northern, you know, third, at least of the island, is leased by the U.S. military for training. So it's it's neat. It's wild. At one point, it was the largest military base in the world. There's over 40,000 personnel with an oh, Army wow. air base in World War II. And now yeah, it's, know. you know, it, it, it's pretty wild. So, but Alaska... Alaska's favorite place I've ever been. Tinian, kind of the neatest, sort of yeah. most off the map place I've ever been. That's really cool. And uh, yeah, good answers. Yeah, yeah, so too good. So if you could make them less good going forward, please. <laughs> um, no, but <laughs> you know, like I say, we also really this one's like going to be good too, though. You know? <laughs> no, I know, I know. We already know in advance. But like you know, we we love to hear about uh, hobbies that we have outside of uh, the environmental profession as well. And, you know, we've been told that you have an illustrious soccer, I'm going to put this in air quotes, career. Um, <laughs> so what's the truth? What's the truth behind that story? And, and what got you into this? The, the, the truth behind that story is I think people see the name and the hair. And, yeah. then, if, and then if I say the word soccer, <laughs> I think in their mind, they create something that in reality is far from it. So yeah. I do love soccer. I never played as a kid. My affinity for soccer was born when we hosted the World Cup when I was in college in the 90s. Yeah. And when I was in college as a freshman, one of my roommates was a soccer player for our team, who is oh, still wow. a good friend, who actually now is the head coach of our team. So, <laughs> Radford University, Coach Barrett, there you go. We got a game today at 6 o'clock against Campbell. Let's well, actually, <laughs> by the time this airs, the season yeah, yeah. will already have been over, but I know we did well. Um, anyway, right. so they, he and, and when the World Cup, I got into soccer. I loved it. You know, team, country against country. Again, I never played. Why would I start at that point in my life? Okay. Fast forward, I'm 38. A guy at the Navy started a team. He assumed I played soccer because I was <laughs> talking soccer. I right, was talking right. about it. Like, oh, yes, yeah, I like it. But, you know, this team did... And so he assumed I played. I thought, you know, I'd just been hired a program manager for a Navy contract. You know, part of my job, I thought, was to, you know, meet to, to get ingrained with the client. The more people I met, the better, yeah. easier it would be for me. 
Um, so I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll play on a team with the client, even though I don't know what I'm doing. And <laughs> I just really enjoyed it. And I wasn't the only guy out there who didn't know what they were doing. And then it went from at one point I was playing three days, three days a week. I was oh, on wow. three different teams. Yeah. Um, you know, I've had knee surgery. I shattered my collarbone. I have eleven oh. screws and a plate oh, in my collarbone now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So uh-huh. I played hardcore from when I was 38 until just last summer on 48. And I want to play again, but I actually need to get my hip replaced. Oh my gosh. Um, I need a new hip and it is so bad I can't run anymore. And um, oh my gosh. I haven't been able to run probably for about a, a year now and I've just kind of been putting it off because I'm not just not looking forward to getting a hip replaced. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah. But no, so I love soccer and I'm really passionate and I can talk a good game. And it, yeah. maybe if you look at me, you could listen to me talk and then think I'm a good soccer player. Right, right, <laughs> the right. People right. who've played with me know that. Uh, I mean, I can run really fast and hard, but as soon as the ball is at my feet, I just flounder misery. <laughs> so, but yeah, I have but, fun. It's fun. Yeah, but that's a, it's really important for anyone who's playing sports to have to have a thing that you're good at, right? Mine's trash talk. You know, that's what I can do. Is just distract <laughs> any player in any sport I'm playing. Just they're like, what are you doing? I'm like scoring a point right now. That's what's happening. You're, <laughs> I, yeah. I I can look so good before the game starts. Right, that right. The other yeah. players that are obviously good, they give me that look <laughs> that they give each other. Yeah. Like, like if you if you watch an NBA game, like the really good players, they look at each other for them, like they know they're making eye contact. There's like right, these right. Yeah, visual you, cues yeah. that you know when you're a really good player. Well, they do that to me, <laughs> and then the game starts, and then they'll pass me the ball once, and maybe yeah, the once. first time they think I'm rusty. Oh, he's old, rusty. Well, you know, second time. That there's usually not a third time. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> oh, that's so great. if I do I'll score, like pe- people get really happy for me. Oh but, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, they I understand quit. what a fluke is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all get lucky sometimes. Yeah. Also, I love the World Cup too. So I hope we get to cross paths sometimes when that's when that's happening. Yeah, yeah. I, I was. I was so. Good times. I was so upset that we didn't qualify for oh, the last God. one. We better yeah, qualify. So embarrassing. Time. Yeah, we better. We really better. There's yeah, no don't, excuse. Don't, yeah, no, really. Th- there is no excuse. I've been, I, 20 years ago on my honeymoon, I got in an argument with some Brits in the Dominican Republic, and I swore to them within eight years we would be in the World Cup final, and they laughed at me. <laughs> right. And they were right. They were, yeah, I was, you know, it's been 20 right. years later. We're still, they were right. I had yeah. so much confidence back then. Oh, but just remember, England, uh, that you own gold yourself out of a loss to the you know, United States. I'm just saying. Yeah. We, we beat them. It says one nothing. Doesn't matter how we scored the goal. Oh, I know. I remember. Yeah, yeah. right. The yeah. the worst worst goalie. <laughs> yeah, he caught yeah. it, and then it just yeah, they just let it go. Yeah, yeah. it still counts. And, hey, was I tell I coached soccer for a while, and I would tell my kids a goal is a goal. Yeah, it doesn't matter how it went in. Nobody's going to remember. They just remember the score. Remember, goal yeah. is a goal. Goal is a goal. Yeah, my well, boss is this British. This is the it's year, stuff. right? We've got plant based food coming out of the woodwork. We've got new jobs and sustainability and ESG. So it's, it's time for change. So maybe this is the year. <laughs> yeah. This is your first soccer. Yeah. A different world. <laughs> One day, you know, we're getting better. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think that the, the future looks brighter now, 20 years out with yeah. just with everything with, EV, yeah. with, you know, renewable with offshore wind, with electric vehicles, you know, I mean, you name it. I, I really, I'm really much more hopeful now than I was five or 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So we're getting close to our time. This has been really awesome. We do want to congratulate you again on joining the NAAP board and look forward to 
making good things happen there with you and your assistants. And we did want to get a little brief history, though, about your experience with NAP and how long have you been a member? Wow, I've been a member member for at least a decade. I think the first conference I attended was Atlanta. And I was with HDR. And yeah, I can't remember. I want to say that was 2009, but I might... I might be wrong about that. Yeah, it was actually um, it was 2010 because that's how I got my first job. Is that conference helped me get a job? So see, well, see oh, yeah. the see. So <laughs> for all you listeners, especially the young ones, the NAP conference helped Nick get a job. And look at him now, go. or listen to him now. So <laughs> yeah, there you go. All, all the more reason to be involved in the NAP. I yeah. will espouse what a great organization NAP is to anyone and everyone. For one, it is the only professional organization for environmental people that is not pigeonholed to one specific thing. So if you do NEPA, which is very broad, NAP really is the only home for you. But it's also home for you if you do a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just think it's great. I mean, I refer refer to the the annual meeting as the gathering of the tribes. Um, And I so miss us getting together in person. I so look forward to us being able to, again... Not just for the learning and you know the networking, but just the commiserating. I'm just yeah. complaining yeah. to each other about <laughs> the stuff that we had to do this past year, whatever silly decision or whatever it was. It just if it's it's kind of um, cathartic. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I know I could say I hate that we're running out of time. We do have to let you go, but before you go, is there anything else you want our listeners to know? No, except that when Mark Ruffalo is on this show, it's because yes, of me. That's it's right. Because I'm the one I'm the one who got him on the show. Okay. So Mark go. or your people, if you're yes. out there, we went to high school together. I bet you didn't know that, Mark. First colonial high school, Virginia Beach, Virginia. Look in your yearbook, you'll find me. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you heard it here, a- folks. That's a good thing for people to know leaving here. Yes, <laughs> and yes, I think absolutely. people should know, though, that Mark Ruffalo is amongst the other celebrities and people who are using their influence to do good and wonderful things. So we do also thank Mark Ruffalo for for what you do for the environment. <laughs> but but more specifically for his future appearance on the show. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Contribute, of course. Yeah. Right, of course, of course. <laughs> And I just want to thank the two of you again. I think this show is amazing. Both of you are amazing. And thank you for what you're doing for NAAP. No, thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right. We'll um, say goodbye to you for now, but we'll see you again soon, I hope. And that's our show. I want to thank Sun Temple for his time today. Uh, It was really fun getting to know him a little bit better. And yeah, thank you guys for listening so much. You can catch us uh, this and every Friday. And we'll see you again next time. Bye.